feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. It's the latest edition of the Conquer Local podcast. And Mike Giamprini, I had the privilege of meeting Mike about two years ago. We've worked very closely over the last two years as Mike built out a sales organization based out of Montreal and Toronto. We're getting him back on the program to dig into his background around multi-location businesses and multi-location opportunities. I've been asked a number of times from our listeners if we could... It seems that when you go out and you make a call on a set of customers, somebody's going to raise their hand and say, I've got 10 dry cleaners, or I've got five pizza stores, or I've got 20 auto dealerships in my auto dealership group. And there's a unique set of problems. They're the same problems that an individual store has, but they're just, they're just, there's magnitude to the, the number of locations. And I think that our sales organizations, depending upon where they've come from, if they came from selling ads as their core, and now they're trying to add digital marketing services to the stack, we've got to really interrogate what the opportunity looks like. So Mike Giamprini from G Partners in Toronto is coming up next, our special guest on the Conquer Local podcast. Welcome to the Conquer Local podcast. We have Mr. Mike Giamprini from G Partners in the uh, Big Smoke, Toronto, Ontario. Hello, Mike. Good morning. How are you? Well, I am in a, actually, I'm full of piss and vinegar today. Um, more than As normal. Always. Well, I'm more than normal. I don't know why I quit drinking coffee, but yet I'm still fired up. And I think part of the reason why I'm fired up is you and I are going to talk about your lengthy career and experience in working with multi-location customers. And, you know, we've been getting a lot of requests for this through the Conquer Local community and through um, our LinkedIn channel, because I think that, you know, one of the things we've discovered whenever we go into a sales organization, we train them, you better talk about somebody that has three, five, 10, a hundred stores, because it doesn't take too many sales calls. And you're going to run across a prospect that has more than one location, whether it's under the same brand or it's under multiple brands. Um, and you know, I wanted to get your feedback on this. So let's, let's go over the resume of Mike Giamprini, uh, because you've spent a lot of time in the multi-location space. Absolutely. Well, I, uh, I started in this space working with, uh, a, a fairly well-known North American agency called DAC group. They're based out of Toronto and I ran their Rochester, New York office and, and DAC sweet spot was certainly servicing the needs of multi multi-locational national brands you know they identified early on that you know those national brands with multiple multiple locations are always looking for like a creative way to gain attention attract new customers at the hyper local level and dac group built out some really interesting products and, and some methodologies to do that i think they were one of the early earlier uh players if you will as well as vendasta uh in in the space and so we had a portfolio of customers um DAC's heritage was in print yellow pages. And so they did a really, really good job of evolving their business uh, and staying true to their to their position of, you know, putting buyers and sellers together at, at the local level. And so yeah. they, they leveraged 
they, they leveraged all of those clients that they had. So Mike, I, you know, I found that in the uh, people that came from traditional directory space, that they, they, they understand the multi-location opportunity. And, and I think it's important to point out, we're talking about multi-location. Now, when I talk about other media company reps that sell ads, when, when we were selling radio and we had somebody that had five locations, we're like, oh, they got a big budget. But we weren't specifically speaking about the individual locations. And that's why when we see these organizations that used to deal in the yellow page space where directory, essentially what was a directory? It was the listing data that now lives online on Google and Yelp and all these other places positioned in one book. And if you had the account Canadian Tire, you had to get the data right across every directory in Canada where a Canadian Tire was applicable. So they're they're really in their DNA, they're focused on multi-location and the problems um, around that. So, you know, it, that's kind of why they, they've been able to transition because it, it's part of their DNA. It's part of their structure as organizations. Absolutely. I mean, you think of the granularity and, and the accuracy that's required to your point, George, when you're, when you're putting an ad in a print book, uh, you, you got to get it right. And so it was a very logical transition or evolution for companies like the AC group to uh, to get into the digital space and take all of those techniques and methodologies in terms of how they manage and manipulate data not not manipulate but manage data um, for all these multi locations yeah I, you and, know, I like then, to call it groom the data to make to make yeah. sure it's accurate but you know it's bloody funny to me that a business person for all these years we've been running a business for 25 years we made sure that our data was right in the friggin' phone book every year. We would pay attention to that proof when it came through. We would lament over it to make sure it was right because we knew if we sent the wrong information, it would screw us up for a year. But yet when we look online, people can't even get their Google My Business profile right. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think too, uh, one thing I've, I've bumped into throughout the years and talking to multi-location brands is there, there's an awareness of the need to get it right. Um, a lot of brands, believe it or not, and the, I'm talking about very sophisticated marketers, they still don't understand how to do it. They, you still have to take them through that educational component of teaching them about the value of listings, the value of reviews, the value of social channels, and everything that goes into a properly managed online presence. Once you get them kind of nodding and believing, you know, believing in it and uh, then, then, then you, you know, when you have tools like the snapshot report out of Vendasta, for example, and now the multi-location dashboard, um, it, it makes the whole process a little easier to educate those customers. Yeah. I don't, but you I know, am I don't want to go into a few of them. No, I don't want to get into a product demo, but I do want to tell you that the other day I was able to present data in front of the dealer principal the marketing manager and the general manager of 19 auto dealerships, five car washes and two oil change businesses. And it was really interesting when we put that data up on the screen and they could see it across their portfolio and the Ford store in the market, which they've had, it's the legacy store. It's the granddaddy. It brought them to the party. It, it built the entire group, had a 4.6 out of five on 500 reviews and all they could C was the three businesses that were under a three. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it just drove Michael, the guy who's the dealer principal nuts. He, he looked at it. He wanted to drill into it. He wanted to look at every review. He's texting the general manager of the car wash that was getting the 2.6 going, you need to fix this. 
You need to ask your best customers to leave some information online so we can, he, he knew that it was a problem. But, you know, what I've found is that salespeople have a tendency to believe when they drive by that Taj Mahal of an auto dealership that's been there for 20 years and the dealer is driving a Porsche every day and they live in the most beautiful house in the city to think that they've got it all friggin' figured out. And here's an example of one of the biggest advertisers in the marketplace that doesn't have it figured out at the very baseline of the data. Absolutely. I, I, I went through a very similar experience earlier this week, talking to a dealership group in, in Atlantic Canada with 39 locations. And, and the surprise, um, it, it's interesting because they are, they are operators, right? I mean, they're, they're obviously overall good people, good business people, but at, at its core, operationally, they're very focused on the consumer experience when they walk in the front door of the dealership, the quality of that experience, the service levels, et cetera. And when we share these reports with them, they immediately look at the reviews and they they put their operational hat on, which is mm-hmm. kind of a, an added value byproduct for us because we can say, well, listen, out of your 39 locations, look at these six, they're really performing poorly when it comes to reviews. And now they're like, wow, this is this is real data. I have to go back to that dealership and talk to them about why are you guys getting such crappy reviews? What are you going to do about it? You know, you bring up a really good point and I'm glad you got to this because I've, I've actually forgotten to mention this in my training around this space. And we started talking about it years ago. The minute that you're able to move the conversation with the customer from a marketing discussion to an operations discussion, like I'm Absolutely. consulting you on how you can run your business better. It's a whole different budget. <laughs> that you're dealing with, oh, right? Over here, we got 100%. marketing. We turn that on and off. We don't need to use it at points in time, but we get down to operations. Like this is how you keep the lights on. It's a whole different thing. It, it, it really comes down to the DNA. So DAC group, you cut your teeth, you work with that organization, you're working with lots of big brands. Then you make a move uh, to another organization, which was a little more specific around big brands. Okay, let's talk about the next move in the Mike G and Prini story. Right. So um, then we ended up, in um, in the Detroit area, working in the automotive space uh, with an MDC uh, agency called Local Biz Now, and what we had there was a platform uh, that was designed specifically to help dealerships, auto dealerships, uh, with the service side of their business. So we did, we didn't focus on new car sales or used car sales at all. Our platform was entirely focused on driving traffic to the service side of an automotive dealership's business. Let me, let me um, ask you this. I, I want to interrogate automotive because, you know, there's a quote from me on a podcast from a couple of years ago where I say, be really careful. You got to have your shit locked down if you're going to go call on automotive dealers because it's super competitive. Um, I'm going to go back to my auto dealer friends that I was making a presentation to, super excited that could actually talk to an end business because a lot of time I'm just talking to salespeople that talk to end businesses. So I, I right. when I do get a chance to pitch to an actual business owner, I love the, the insights that I get. Here's what I was told. Um, in the markets that the dealership group is working in, they've had a tough couple of years in sales. Their sales are actually down a little bit. And what they then did was they focused on service and they focused on making sure that they were promoting their service and their parts and their auto body stores. And they're actually making more money <laughs> in, Absolutely. in that approach. So what I want to, to get our reps on the line to understand, I know that it's tempting all the time to talk about the beautiful new cars on the lot and say, how much are you prepared to move that unit? You know, what's the, what's the amount you're prepared to invest to move those four wheels, right? We've done that pitch for years, but what you've identified is that service 
the is the lifeblood of these dealerships. And it's actually an easier way in to get to that. You know, we talk about the pain point. If you can get in there and solve the pain point on service, there's an ROI to that right out of the gate for the dealership. A hundred percent. I mean, on a new car sale, they, you know, they generate the revenue once, but then it comes down to the experience and the relationship. And if they get that customer, keep coming back for servicing their vehicle at that dealership, the margins on the service side of their business are enormous. When When the market market goes to shit and you get a bunch of layoffs or the economy's down to get those deals across the line at the dealership, you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to reduce your margin. You're going to have to give away, you know, maybe give away paint protection. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's a much more competitive market on the sales side. Whereas on the service side, I just want to keep my car on the road so I don't have to go make that investment. So it, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And, and this is the reason why I'm really interrogating this is what I find is the minute that we get away from pitching our products, And you've heard me say before, don't fall in love with your products, fall in love with your customer's problem. And what you've identified here is in the auto space, the big problem is how do I get that big revenue generator and profit machine, my service, my parts department, just rocking? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can't remember this specific statistic, but it's something like the last 15 quarters, the North American new car sales market has gone down, steadily declined. And all that means is that people are keeping their cars longer. So if you can help a dealership go out and capture more of that service business for people who are keeping their cars longer, then it's it's really a piece of lifeblood. And then for your own businesses, you start to think about, well, what other businesses have a similar model where you sell a product and then there's a service element to it, whether it's, you know, appliances or, you know, motorcycles, marine um Heavy equipment manufacturers, trucks, lawnmowers, everything that, that has a service element, you know, they all have the same online presence challenges that we that we should have some solutions for them. We're going to dig back into a few of these customer groups again in a moment, but, you know, after the time with the Detroit organization, then you, you end up back in Toronto and um, yep. tell us about that move. So I ended up back in Toronto with uh, one of the Yellow Page groups. Um, a company called 411.ca, which is a national directory advertising business, basically. And um, my mandate from them was to help them pivot the business into selling and servicing digital marketing online presence solutions for small businesses. So, you know, the, the directory advertising business kind of went over the same cliff that print yellow pages went over about six years previous. And so uh, if they were to survive, they had, a, they had a great legacy, a pretty good brand in the marketplace. They needed to come up with different things to sell to that same constituency of small businesses. So well, uh, I, wanna, I, was very, uh, I was very involved with you, and this is really where you and I met and uh, created yeah. our relationship. We do have a, an older version of the podcast where I was in your offices when, when the launch when of that launched. organization, you and I, you know, we, we uh, went through a few of the challenges, but here, listen, folks, this is an unbelievable story. So Mike, working for technology companies, because, you know, DAC Group and Local Biz Now were working with multi-location brands, but they built out their own tech stack and they really had transitioned to become an independent software vendor. Like they, they, they weren't, they weren't traditional at all anymore. They had come up with, there's a problem and we're building out a tech stack to solve that. And Mike was able to take that mindset into that organization and get dramatic growth in a very short period of time. But 
you know, I, I know that you'll tell us, Mike, none of that was easy. No, it wasn't. We had, uh, we had forecasted, you know, what some of our KPIs needed to be at in terms of, well, you know, just our sales team alone, when we, when we kicked it off between our Toronto and Montreal office, I think we had, let's say about 70 or 80 salespeople. And we thought, well, you know, 20% of them maybe won't make it because transition's tough. You know, change is tough for a lot of people. So we thought 20% won't make it, but 80 will. And after our first sort of year in market, the, the numbers were actually reversed. We ended up retooling the entire sales force. It was really only 20% who made it, and we kind of replaced the other 80%. So let me tell you folks how interesting this is. The 28th of January, um, was it two years ago? Is it yeah. two years ago? 28th of January, two years ago, I'm in Toronto. We launched this team. Beautiful launch, by the way. The sales reps get off the elevator in this beautiful building. And, you know, they got the screens, confident screens inside the building and the whole, you know, Mike, you guys did a great job. And and yeah, uh, your, your, <laughs> your counterpart, Neil, and you are at the front door and hand out champagne to the reps. They got off the, you know, it was just, I was fired up to be there. We get all these reps fired up. We get the team leads fired up. We train over and over and over again. We get people rocking and we, I come back four months later and it's like a ghost town. There's, there's yeah. like where there was 60 reps. Now there's 10 reps. But the interesting thing was you were producing way more than you were producing with the 60 reps. Yeah, we were. Yeah, you know, change is hard for a lot of people. And and we took these legacy reps who were selling director advertising, which was relatively easier to sell than digital marketing solutions. There wasn't a whole educational component. We had the brand behind us, so that was it was okay to get people on the phone. But then we had to teach reps a bit more of a consultative approach to selling, you know, a digital marketing online presence solution for small business as opposed to uh an online directory advertising, you know, buying a banner versus buying listings, management, reviews, social, etc. So, uh, you know, we we probably underestimated how quickly and how successfully we could evolve the sales team. Um, it, at the end of the day, I think that was actually a little bit of a blessing in disguise because it kind of gave us a bit of a fresh breath or new 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 momentum and new energy to just go out and build a pretty much a, a brand new sales team. Uh, we placed some of the leadership. We brought in, you know, different skill sets. Um, and it was really interesting to kind of build it from the ground up, uh, along with a whole new set of products uh, and, a, and a portfolio of products that we had to manage at the same time. So it was it was a pretty cool experience and, and quite successful. At the end of the day, we, we cranked it up to a couple of million bucks and, and did quite well with it. So let's go back over, you know, one of the things I like having um, a veteran on the podcast is let's go back and let's talk about when you were started working with those multi-location businesses and you, you were working with Bridgetone dealers and you were working with, you know, it's just the list. It, it's just a, a who's who of the large brands. Tell me about some of the things you would do differently if you could go back and do it again. Um, I think um, that's a really great question. You know, the retrospective would be that um, to spend the right amount of time on that educational piece, because I, and even to this day, I'm, I'm surprised that I end up talking to some of some incredibly, what I believe to be very sophisticated marketers, but very unsophisticated when it comes to these very foundational, fundamental, tactical things that we're selling them when it comes to their online presence. And so, you know, that that's probably an opportunity for us in the sales side of it, because, you know, where there's 
where there's confusion, there's opportunity, right? Or where there's chaos, there's opportunity. So not that we go in and we bring that chaos to their attention, but more often than not, I'm greeted with that response that says, I, I, I know I had a problem here. Um, I didn't realize the severity of it. I didn't realize the in, actual impact it was having on my business. It was one of those things that I know I got to do something. I just don't know what to do. And then it's not, you know, when you've got this great stack of products to sell and, and all the analytical tools, the likes of a snapshot report and whatnot, it, it makes it a little easier to go in and become the expert rather quickly. We used to, I tell all my sales team that, you know, the, the key to success is to master the presentation of those materials become an absolute ninja at presenting, you know, the executive reports, the snapshot reports, whatever analytical tools we're using to weave the stories with these customers, because that's where all the credibility lies. And the first thing they realize is that you're not sharing an opinion with them. You're sharing a bunch of facts. This is not our data. This is just data that we've collected and put into a usable form to show you where the gaps are. And then we come up with some really cool solutions to fill those gaps. But it, it, again, in retrospective, the, the, the educational part of it, many times you go in and you just assume that people had an appreciation for the online presence side of their business, um, when in fact, they're brand builders. They're not necessarily operators. Um, and so brand builders aren't really focused on the details, on the technology, on those kind of structural elements of what they need digitally. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that you say that because I um you know I've been doing a lot I do a lot of reading around the sales and marketing space and I, I find that you know you you can find a new blog written every day in the marketing space that you know you need to become a quant if you want to be a marketer in 2019 you need to be data driven you need to live in spreadsheets and everything else but when you and I get out in the real world and we start talking to people running brands inside these organizations they they have they have data teams underneath them when you're talking to the decision maker at the top end you got to get to figure out how you're going to articulate that that roi as to you know this is how we're going to move the needle absolutely and that that's when you really get their attention right i mean show like to, to your point earlier focus on their problem and convince them that you've got a solution as opposed to going in and beating the product drum um, because quite honestly we're not the only we're not the only players in town anymore. There was a time, right. you know, not, not that long ago where there weren't a lot of people with these types of solutions. Uh, so now it really does require a bit more sophistication when it comes to how we position ourselves, how we present these things and sell them. How many, you know, how many days when you, when you started with the, with the team calling into those individual businesses, how long was it before you found a, a multi-location opportunity from that outreach? Um, that's a good question. We had, we had, um, on the multi-location side, well, which I'm actively, you know, pursuing now, um, there's a ton of, there's a ton of businesses out there, um, across multiple categories, mainly retailers are, are sort of like the most obvious ones. Um, I've got, a, I've got a couple of, of opportunities in discussion right now. Um, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, trying, to, trying to quantify the sales cycle, I, I think from the time that you actually are able to connect with someone who's going to lead somewhere to the time you can close a deal. These, these are like, you know, four to six month sales cycles, if not longer sometimes, right. uh, as opposed to, and, and, uh, you know, the sales. Why? So it, is, is it because it's a, lar- it's a large investment, but also isn't it around the contracting period? It has to do with some of that too. 
Um, a lot of times too, it's it's far easier to sell a proof of concept than it is to go in and ask for the for the for the actual order for all of the locations. And of course, a proof of concept is a good thing, but it just delays the the longer, bigger decision. Um, I mean, I got one right now that I'm that I'm dealing with um, retailer with about 380 locations in Canada and thousands in the U.S. And they're going to probably do a proof of concept in all the Canadian locations, and then they'll analyze the heck out of it. And I would say we can close the proof of concept in sort of 90 days, but the real big the real big fish is probably a year away. Well, that's, that's right. I'm get, glad you brought that up. POC yeah. proof of concept, really important piece to this. The other thing that I've found that these buyers are looking for in this space is a statement of work. Clearly articulate yeah. to me the things that you're going to do. And I think that's partly because they've been sold some snake oil um, or some, you know, uh, some vaporware here in the last little while. Right. Do you want to talk about that? Because right. there's a lot of it well, out there. I think we should get that on the table. Absolutely, there is. And and again, you know, the proof of concept, as I said, delays the big win. But the upside is the proof of concept then really sets you up for for a very robust statement of work. These these deals tend to be more than than annual deals. You can go in and negotiate, you know, two, three, four, five year commitments. You can build in pricing increases like these are much longer term plays and they're pretty big deals. Um, But that proof of concept is the key to getting there. And I'm talking about like, to me, any, any business that has more than 250 locations is probably going to be a bigger, longer sale because you're, you know, you're talking about a six figure deal and and there's a lot of people who have to prove that. And there's someone who's got to endorse it. And as we all know what that looks like. So, you know, the, the, the beauty of them, they, they sure do take a long time to sell, but when they sell, they stick for a long time. Two, three-year deals are not unheard of when you've got, you know, seven, eight hundred locations that you're managing. Because it's hard for them to disengage if you're doing a good job. Well, um, and, and they're looking for someone that does a good job. They want to take it off their list of things to do. And, oh, and yeah. that base data is so important to everything that they're doing. Because you think about and, it, if you got a thousand locations, you run, you release a new product. And you look at the reviews for 90 days afterwards, and they just talk about how that product is garbage, then, then you got a problem in that market. And, and I go back to my client call that I was on the other day. What I found out was in the auto space, if their customer satisfaction number goes down, their margin goes down from the manufacturer. So they're selling them, Absolutely. Ford's coming to them saying, here's all our cars. And if your customer, your CSAT score goes down, the money that I pay you as a margin, I'm not going to pay you as much. So you, yep. they, they need to be laser focused on it. Yep. And, and, and the other thing is if, if you know your stuff, you can tell them how fixing their location issues is going to impact other parts of their business. For instance, uh, you know, I had a, I had an organization that thought that, that they thought they were getting a certain ROI on their paid search campaigns when in fact they were driving traffic to locations with wrong data. <laughs> and so you know, that's, that costs them a ton of money. I mean, if you can uncover some of those challenges in an organization, I know this sounds a little bold, but sometimes what we're selling them can be self-funding. If this, if this, uh, you know, if you fix your location issues, your quality scores go up, you pay less for paid search. And if you're spending, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars on paid search, drive them to locations that are accurate as well, opposed you, to just you know, the holy grail would be to find away. a location that had a competitor's information in it and say, all yeah. that money you've been spending over here on search just drove leads to this guy because you weren't paying attention to the base data. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and if yeah. you go back through editions of this podcast where we've had guest after guest, we talk about the consumer journey, all that awareness that you're driving, if you don't have the other, you know, it's, it sounds like a broken record, but it's, it's still a big problem. And it exists Huge. in some of the biggest businesses that are out there. Just because they got a bunch of locations doesn't mean they have this stuff right. No, no, it's huge. And, and, and when you can show them how it's impacting other areas of their business, now that now the, the, they don't realize how big the problem actually is. I mean, it's easy to, for, the, for them to say, well, you know, I've got 600 locations and a couple of the phone numbers are wrong. It's not killing me. Not until you tell them, yeah, but every time you drive traffic that you're paying for to that wrong phone number, what is that actually costing you? Three, four times what you're actually spending. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we can, we can build out those cases and that's when you really build your credibility. If you start to understand the whole, the whole spectrum, what, what all of their, what all of their digital marketing efforts look like, you got a probe in that area, you know, you go and say, well, I want to talk about something as fundamental as online presence. But would you be interested if I could show you how your a good online presence will lower your cost of acquisition overall in all the other areas of marketing that you're spending? Even your offline media is impacted. The return on those dollars. Absolutely, it so, is. You know, one of your very famous quotes that you've given because I've saw you speak at conventions and heard you on podcasts, and uh, you know, you are a member of the Revenue Collective with myself. So you've been at those dinners. You need to be, and I don't want to use the brand name of our needs analysis tool, but I think what you're saying is you need to be an insights ninja. You need, when you yeah. go into the customer, you have to bring some value that you've done your homework. You've identified the white space. You've figured out what an outcome might look like. And here's the tactics that we're going to deploy to get you this. You got to paint that picture from, you know, from uh bleed to lead. You know what I mean? Problem yeah. over here, solve the problem, band-aid it up, get it looking great, heal the wound. And then over here, we start to drive revenue. Absolutely. As a salesperson, you have got to be disciplined in understanding how to present this material because that is the key to unlocking the interest from your customer. And I remember another guest you had on your podcast. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but one of the quotes from him that struck was, uh, sending ain't selling. And, and, you know, sending a report or sending that analytical tool in an email, is an absolute waste of time. You've got to get them either on the phone or in person or through a screen share. And you got to be able to just present the heck out of this thing and come off as the expert. Yeah. Um, yeah I look at it as, remember in the good old days when you and I used to actually use a paper map and we yeah. would, yeah, you know, we'd have to find a phone booth. <laughs> Cause we didn't have cell phones. Like that's how friggin' yeah. old we are. Um, but, but We're remember when you would, you would just make some photocopies of things that you found in magazines and you, I have a highlighter right in front of me here and you highlight the thing you want the person to pay attention to. And you staple your business card and a couple concert tickets to it. And you drop it off at that prospect or customer. And all you're doing is driving top of mind awareness for your brand. So sending yeah. those marketing emails or, and I don't even mean I'm teaching emails, sending the LinkedIn messages, uh, making the posts, putting the content, that's just top of mind awareness for you as a, as a subject matter expert. What exactly. really needs to happen is, and especially if you're going to ask for the big dollars, you need to sit with the customer and add that value layer over top of all the technology that you're putting in there. And, and you brought it up earlier on the podcast. I'm going to hammer this for the rest of the season. I don't care what your products are. I don't care what your technology is. It's, there's new stuff being built tomorrow. So it, it really, yeah. it's so commoditized when it comes to tech, it, 
and, and what it's done is there's more tech every day. So now what that trusted provider is even more important. But I find salespeople, they get valuable time with their customer. And all they want to do is talk about the flashy buttons and the features and what the tech does. And that, you know, while there is value there, it's still not as important as the trusted provider that's going to just make it all work. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, you've got to be that expert. Mike G. and Prini, uh, appreciate you joining us today on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, George. Well, obviously, Mike and I have uh, had long conversations over bourbons and dinners at Allen's on Danforth. We've probably done it about four times in the last two years. And we love talking about how the space has changed and how we can position sales organizations to take advantage of that change. And in Mike's new role, where he has G partners and he's working with these large multi-location opportunities, what he's discovering is a lot of the tactics and a lot of the sales strategies that they used on individual businesses. He now has to change that, that narrative to match the problems that the large groups have. But when you drive by that big gleaming Taj Mahal, where they have numbers of locations, the owner has a G6 and flies back and forth to his place in Phoenix every six months. It doesn't necessarily mean that they've solved all the problems around the listing data and the reputation information. And how do they post on social media across locations? You know, I, I just I go back to what we were talking about in the, in the episode, I was working with this auto dealership group. They've got 19 locations and they've got 10 people doing social media and they're going into the native app to do that. They're going into Facebook and they're going into LinkedIn and they're going into Twitter and they're going into Instagram. There is a tool that exists, numerous tools, actually. I think there's 600 of them out there right now that would allow you to aggregate that and do, you know, do some content and then push it out to the various channels and schedule it and keep an archive of it. So you know what you've posted, let you measure what's working. So you're posting things that are actually getting you some buzz. So, you know, I think that we really need to take a hard look at this multi-location opportunity. And if you're running an individual agency or you're a rep working for a, a large broadcast company or a media company, you're going to run across these opportunities and they're sitting right there in front of your face. You just have to come up with a way to um, interrogate what the opportunity is, present the solution in a way that the customer can understand and don't assume that they have it all figured out down to the smallest detail. Because, um, you know, as we mentioned, there's a lot of snake oil out there. There's a lot of vaporware. There's these groups that come in and say, okay, we'll run an analysis on your business and here's where you are today. And they'll move a few of the needles. And then you come back a year later and all the data is degraded. You know, I, I could go on and on and on over some of the horror stories that we found. Um, and then finally, one of the things that really stuck out is you have to bring insights. You have to bring, you have to do some homework. Bring some value. There's 15 different people calling on that customer saying they can solve their problem. And how are you going to differentiate yourself from those competitors? Bring the data, bring the science, go and say, you know, I've done a bunch of research behind the scenes and here's the problem that I think I can help you solve. Here's how I'm going to solve it. Give them a very clear statement of work. And uh, then don't be afraid to do a proof of concept. They, they've been burnt. It's a big investment. They're going to want to do a 90 day or they're going to want to do a six month. You know, I, one of our partners last week closed a multi-million dollar deal and they had to do a six month point of uh, proof of concept to get the big deal. So just go in with that expectation. 
where I'm prepared to put my money where my mouth is. Here's what a, a six-month POC is going to look like. And here's what we're going to measure. And you can fire me at any time. It's very low risk for you. You do have to pay for some things, like put get, get them to put some skin in the game, but just have it as an expectation. It's going to lead to that longer deal, the two or the three-year deal where you know that you've got that customer locked in and, um, and you know, very big wins out there to bring these across the line. Keep in mind what Mike did tell you though. They take time. They don't happen overnight. Mike Giamprini from G Partner. He's got a lot of experience in the multi-location space. We're glad to have him on the broadcast to share that knowledge. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast with your host, George Leith. Executive producers are Brendan King, Jeff Tomlin, and Danny Mario. Audio engineering, Sound Lounge by T-Bone. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Produced by Colleen McGrath. 